Welcome in. This is a brand new episode of 300 Yards to Unknown coming to you from the Blue Wire Studios at the Win Las Vegas. And today I've got a very special episode in mind. Joining me, I've got him. He's a senior golf writer at CBS Sports. He's the author of Normal Sport. It's Kyle Porter, KP. Thanks for doing this, bud. Thanks for having me. You said that like you like you caught me, like you captured me. Yes. Like I was in, in the wild and you you went out and set a trap and now I'm here talking to you at, at the well, I'm in my shed, but you're at the win. Yeah, same thing, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure it's a similar setup. But you, yeah, it's listen, anytime I can I can uh lock you down, I can get you in the schedule. I mean it's 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 great fun. So yes, I'm I'm quite excited about being able to ca- capture you. Well, I think <laughs> You know, this is our job, obviously, to talk about golf, to watch golf, to read about golf, to study golf. And I think that a lot of times when people, even when they have fun jobs, um, they can become tedious and hard and tiring. But, you know, for the most part, I don't I don't feel like that's been true. I know it's not really been true of my career, and I, I don't get that from you either. Um, so I think... I don't know. Hopefully that resonates with people because I think that people like watching other people do things they enjoy. And certainly we both enjoy talking about golf quite a bit. Yeah. Why, why don't we get burnout? Cause I'm with you. I, maybe it's a different course every single week. Maybe it's a different field. There seems to be, you know, I always compare it to the NFL where that is just an absolute content machine, right? They've got the Super Bowl, and then it's immediately into uh, you know, pre-draft stuff and combine stuff. And they're able to make it a 12 month sport. And I feel like golf has been better at making it a 12 month sport, which in turn makes every week something. And I think that's, that's good for the game. Obviously it is. I do think that actually could lead to, to, to burnout. Um, you know, I, th- I think college football is a really good model for, Hey, you don't have college football for like eight months. Mm. Right. And, and you've got, you got spring ball, but that's not as big a deal as the combine and and kind of the coaching carousel in, in the NFL. So I don't know that it's necessarily the fact that there's a ton of golf all the time. I think the variety helps. Mm. The different courses, that really helps. And I think what the different courses create is a little bit what my book was about, which is just like these weird, bizarre um situations and there's there's just so many variables in golf that there are not the weather you don't you just i mean you deal with that kind of in football and baseball but if it's raining in baseball you're i mean you're not playing and if it's raining in golf like we saw at the honda classic recently you're you're hitting shots on 18 into the you know a driving rainstorm and that's that's super interesting and i think it, it it's I've gotten a lot of joy out of just finding these minutiae in golf that are just kind of ridiculous, but also really funny. And that to me just brings me, brings me a lot of, I, I, just, I, I, enjoy, I really enjoyed that part of the job. I'll, I'll be the first to date the show. So we're recording this during the Arnold Palmer Invitational <laughs> during, during round one. So uh, KP, this event, because uh, you mentioned your book, Normal Sport, which I loved, obviously, but uh, this to me feels like a, a normal sport. We, like, when was the genesis idea of normal sport? Because Bryson trying to drive it over uh, the entirety of the lake at six at Bay Hill feels like one of the moments that it could have it could have come to fruition. That was up there. I think actually the actual genesis. Somebody went back and found this was <laughs> your first like normal sport tweet. Is that what you mean? Yeah, it was Wingfoot <laughs> twenty twenty, and Phil was like. <clears throat> 
in his knees on a bunker or on his knees in a bunker, like trying to hit like out of like sideways out of a bunker, just something ridiculous. But the moment from Bay Hill last year, actually, it wasn't Bryson. It was uh, Terrell Hatton had this moment at Bay Hill last year where he his ball, I think it had some mud on it. And he was using his his like five iron as a cane to like <laughs> to like bend down and look like on the other side of the ball. And so it, the the way that TV captured it, it just looked like what if you if you turn the TV on at that moment, you're like, what is this dude doing? Like, what is what is happening? And you get that all the time, though, right? Because of how many different variables there are. And, and it happens in other sports, too. There's certainly normal sport moments in football and basketball and baseball. But I don't know, man. I, and maybe it's just because we're covering it every day. But you seem to see a lot of them all the time in, in the sport that we cover. It's the absolute best. I'm glad that um, that tweet, that idea, that premise turned itself into <laughs> a book that I could look back and go, oh, yeah, that was a lot of weird stuff that happened what? last year. <laughs> why, why do you... Why do you feel like you don't get burned out? Because you your your appetite is seemingly insatiable. Like you can't get. It, it, I mean, it's part of that. Just like the business side of it, you're you're kind of running your own business and and exploring different avenues with that. Like, what is it for you? There's definitely a side of it that I feel. The more I work, the more money I can make. Like I'd be lying if I said that wasn't true. However, like Armina and I, we talk about this all the time. It's like if someone gave us like a hundred million dollars, what would you do? And she's like, okay, you know, I'd be on a beach, a different beach every single week, and blah blah blah. And I'm like, I'd start like a golf data website, and like I'd create content yeah. around it, right? Like that's just like it, it's it's really what I want to be doing. I I love the process of it. I like the research. I like there's just so many variables, Kyle. It's different players. It's different shot shapes. It's weather. It's course. It's everything is different. There's a million variables. It's one big math problem. And I love trying to solve it. Yeah. And I think there's, there's, I mean, we were just as humans created to, um, created to create, to make things, to build things. And, you know, I think that your your gig is a lot more entrepreneurial than mine, but I, I I still view my career and and kind of my work as as doing the same stuff. So you've you you're a builder, like you've built all this stuff, and I think there's there's value in that that hundred million dollars can't engender, you know. And I I, I think that uh, I think there's something to be said for that. So uh, that's pretty cool. I I uh, I like hearing that. Yeah, I I appreciate it. Well, uh, maybe not a hundred million, but forty million can be distributed by the PGA Tour in a way that maybe some of us do and do not know. This is not really our topic for the day, but I could not have you on a pod and not address the fact that the PIP results are official and they are out. So. Maybe a little, bit, a little bit of a surprise, KP. It is not Phil Mickelson's name at the top of the PIP list, as he told us with two weeks to go in the year. It is Tiger Woods who earns the full $8 bucks, and Phil finishing second. Let's start there because Phil tried to victory lap this thing earlier, and now it gets just added to another list of, oh, Phil moments. Well, I, I just I don't understand... And, and this is a little bit of what Phil's been doing for a while, though, right? Is like <clears throat> he hears something from somebody. Like that's clearly what has happened with a lot of the, oh, the PGA Tour only distributes, right? you know, 2% of its rep. That's not what he said. But he's, he, he's, he just is like the numbers that he has made up are just false. Like they're just not true. And that's sort of what happened here. Like you helped me win the PIP. And <laughs> he tweeted that, what, December or something? Yeah, I think I think, I think it was right, this mid-December. I think there was two weeks to go in the year. Yeah, right before Kapalua, and it's it's, he, uh, uh, and I guarantee you, what happened is he heard that from somebody that 
was either connected to the tour or worked at the tour or whatever and it and, but he didn't check it like it wasn't a tr- it wasn't a good source and F- Phil was a little bit tried to be like this kind of maverick journalist type that like is making moves and reporting news and breaking story like all this stuff and it's like well this is what happens when you don't make sure you have something on lockdown is stuff just turns out to not be true so tiger just dunked all over him on was that yesterday on yeah. Wednesday? Yeah, shut and, it down. Uh, Tiger, Tiger's already locked up 2022, I think, here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't feel that bad for Phil. He he still got $6 million for tweeting about his legs, basically, for, for a year. That's not that. I mean, the PIP is, like, way more complex than that. It's not just about who. And that's what people, I saw your note in here, like, where's Max Homa? Well, I think that. If it was just a Twitter contest, Max right. Homa would be in the top three, right? But it's also like how much were you on TV and what was your Q rating and like all these ridiculous things. I think at the end of the day, like the thing that if you were to make a list of, hey, who should we like give this $40 million to because they're kind of our stars and they bring in and generate a lot of revenue, not not just in 2022, but over the last three, four, five, ten years, I think this is what the list would look like. Yeah. So I don't know if they just retrofitted the data or the um, like the algorithm to fit like who, who they kind of know they need to give it to, or if this is I don't I don't know like how that played out. But if you're the PGA Tour and you're like, who are those people? This is exactly what the list looks like, right? Yeah, for for sure. We'll go through the rest of the list, but I love that Phil signed his victory lap tweet with P.S. I'll try to find another hot controversial topic soon. You sure will, Phil. The foreshadowing sure of that portion of the tweet is like, you have no idea how controversial your next topic is going to be. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. I'm surprised he wasn't referencing. There's an Atlantic article floating around this week. I think... The some of the Saudi leaders got interviewed for this Atlantic article. I'm surprised Phil's name didn't get just floated out there. Yeah, man, Phil's 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 in a tough spot. Here's the rest of the list: uh, Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, Bryson DeChambeau. They are three, four, and five. Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, six, seven, eight, and then nine and ten. John Rahm, Bubba Watson. Little surprised to see John Rahm that low. Little surprised to see Bubba Watson that high. Well, again, I I, I think if you it would be impossible to do this, but if you polled every person that watched or went to a PGA Tour event in 2021, and and you said, "Hey, who? Which of these guys were you more like? Uh, were you more excited to see or drew you in to come to this event?" Yeah, I think Bubba would rank ahead of John Rahm, right? Because like I don't, I don't, I just I don't know. It are are. I don't know. I always go back to like my dad. Is my dad? Oh, my dad's a bad example because he cares about John Rom. I just think a lot of a lot more people care about Bubba than people realize. You know, he for you and I, he hasn't really been relevant outside of Riviera, and you know, he he'll pop up every once in a while, but he hasn't been a certainly a star or superstar in in quite a few years now. But I think for the just common golf fan, hey, let's go to the tour event that's in my town this weekend. I think Bubba's still like a like a real thing. Like, I think he's a real draw. And I think some of that was reflected in, uh, I don't have like the, somebody tweeted out the, like the minutia data, but I think some of it was reflected in there. Yeah. It's like the five different categories and where you rank Bubba won the MVP score, which I'm not 
entirely sure what the MVP score was, but that I think that's social. I think that's social media. Really interesting. Okay, so Bubba Bubba, Bubba sneaks in, gets his three million bucks. Uh, omitted from the list, we've we've are under the impression Colin Morikawa finished eleventh based on uh, his own tweets. There, I don't know if that's been uh, uh, made official. And then the big omission has to be Hideki, right? I mean, what calculation could you have put together? that does not have Hideki Matsuyama on this list. He won the Masters, and he's got, like, literally the largest following every single week of the year. Well, but this is – this, and I think this sort of um, proves my point from earlier is that there's, there's not a lot of people going to tour events in Hartford, Connecticut because of Hideki Matsuyama. Yeah. There's just, I mean, that's just, that's just the reality of the situation. And I think, like, I don't – and I don't know – Nobody knows how the PGA Tour did this exactly, but there's a way that, like, okay, are you calculating these numbers globally? Are you calculating them only in places where you have tournaments? Like, what are the markets? Is it U.S. only? Like, how, how does all that play in? And I think the tour would look at it and be like, yeah, they, they wouldn't create a formula that in which Hideki could finish first. Right. Right? I mean, it, that's, that I, I just don't think they would because he's not – as big as a, of a draw as he is globally and for the Zozo and, and uh, you know, for, for, for Japan and, and everything there, he's just that, I don't think that is getting at like the heart of this, like why this was created, you know? So yeah. I, do you agree? Do you no, disagree? I think you're right. I think you're right. I think, I think that, um, and I feel like we heard about this when the PIP was originally introduced. I feel like the algorithm, the calculation was very calculated in which it was, we're going to make sure, you know, we, we have this data from previous years. We're going to create a calculation that essentially rewards these types of people. And I don't think rewarding the Hideki Matsuyamas of the world or literally Hideki Matsuyama was high on the list and, and having previous right. year's data, creating the calculation for 2021, it, it just, it doesn't end up being Hideki. It ends up being Tiger Phil, Bubba and everybody else that, yeah, our dads know. Yeah. So <clears throat> One of the one of the uh, scoring details in the appendix that got sent out, Dan, uh, Dan Rappaport had this tweet, was Google. So, like, how many times you're Googled, I, I guess. I, again, <laughs> like, I don't know, like, what the detail is on. So, is there, do they count Google? Like, can you even Google in Japan? Like, I, I, I'm, that's or, or, a, or does Adam Scott, question. does Adam Scott get credit for Adam Scott, the golfer and Adam Scott, the actor? Like, how does Google, right. how do they decide that? <laughs> So again, I just go back to like, it feels like they, I'm not saying they like played with the numbers or anything like that. It feels like they created a formula or finalized a formula that very much rewarded the guys that they're like, these are the guys that we need to reward because they're the only ones that really matter as it, as it pertains to our business model. Do you think that they've been fudging the numbers to make sure that Patrick Reed does not get on this list? Like the shot link data has been fudged for the last 10 years. <laughs> that, oh my that might be a different podcast, but it's insane levels at this point. Did you see? I got I got pulled, roped into this. Did you see this? No, I didn't see how you got involved Did, with this. This is the Reed Birder account that uh, the industry has kind of said is obviously Justine. So use Golf Facts. Yeah, is the is the name of the account that everybody's aware of. Rory <laughs> referenced it in in an interview with Dylan Deshay the other day. <laughs> I tweeted out uh, this was on this was at the Arnold Palmer. And Rory was talking about how the PGA Tour is the best structure in sports for, uh, for a league of athletes or members. That was his quote. 
kind of like contradicting what Phil said about right. them being obnoxiously greedy and all this stuff. So I tweeted this out and said like, Hey, it's pretty cool. Like Rory's at the very, not only is he like deeply involved in this cause he's the pack chairman. Is that, is that the right terminology? Yeah, I think that's, I right. think it is. Um, but he's also like, if somebody's underpaid on the tour, it's, it's Rory because he brings in so much revenue, so many fans, all this stuff. So I just, I just threw it out there and use golf X comes back middle of the night. It's always wow, middle of the sleep. night. Yeah. It's always middle of the night. I'll read it to you. Rory has been getting paid by the tour off course millions over the last four years, which that feels like you're accusing someone or two entities of a felony, basically. <laughs> Just low key uh, on Twitter. Maybe, yeah. May, excuse me. Maybe even more being the chairman of the pack, which in business ethics love talking to this account about ethics yeah. uh, is supposed to be a reasonable amount that is paid. All these words are misspelled. So it's, <laughs> it's hard to like walk through this. There's nothing reasonable about paying pack members millions in compensation. Now I will say that there's a lot of uh, committee uh, members like that, that like players that do stuff for the tour that they are, they are paid. And yeah. I think I didn't, know that until recently yeah they're, they're on the tax free. returns you, like kevin streelman yeah. charlie hoffman like these guys zach johnson have been getting paid a million bucks to be whatever to the tour yeah it's all it's all open Which, transparent stuff that's one thing uh like it would be one thing if rory was the pack chairman for 20 years and he's getting like two million a year like this thing turns over it's not like right like uh, rory being singled out here and then being like well he's also been being uh, paid off the books in addition to the pack chairman stuff for the last however many years you're like wait a second like what are you actually saying here and 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 what like it it's it's kind of out of control like that's a that's a pretty like brazen thing to say for an account that has been very like you don't have to take many steps to know that it's from team reed like the reed camp no, you have to take zero steps to figure that out with the whole and, and Rory was the one that was kind of thrown under the bus with the whole Tory Pines. I touched my ball thing. It was Rory yeah. McIlroy did the same thing on 18 just an hour ago. Like there it, it's that's when the, that's yeah. when it that's when the the accounts were linked. Correct. Right. Forgot to sign out. Uh, all right, let's move on to our, believe it or not, main focus for the day. And I don't know how I want to best set the table, KP, so maybe you can help with this. The idea of what we talk about all the time generally revolves around wins and how important wins are to a golfer's legacy, yet we understand the randomness of wins. And when you start comparing generations or you start comparing, did this guy have a good season versus a bad season, or who had a better season, Patrick Cantlay or John Rahm. The conversation almost always starts and ends with wins, but I think that we don't have a really good grasp of what it takes to win and what wins actually mean. Is that is that about right? Yeah, I've always struggled with this, and I've always been fascinated by it because I think that I think wins are somehow both overrated and underrated. And... <laughs> That sounds like I'm trying to play both sides, and maybe I am. But I think what I mean by that is you look at John Rahm's numbers over the last, what, since, I don't know, May of last year, May of 2021. And you look at May 2021 through whenever people are listening to this. 
And he's playing at a clip. If you just look at the strokes gain numbers, so the, the data, that's the best number that we have to determine who's playing the best golf and who the best golfers are. Right. He's playing at a clip that's almost Tiger-like. And when you don't win, it sort of, um, it sort of undermines that reality. And so we have to turn to, to, to uh, statistics and say, like, wait a second. Golf is the only sport... I think it's not the only sport. It's uh, it might be the only sport where you have you you I don't know maybe like track and field. There's there's other sports out there where you can't defend your opponent. Golf gets compared to tennis a lot, right? And in tennis, you can affect what your opponent does by doing things to him or her, right? By hitting different shots, by taking something off the serve, by adding something to it, whatever. In golf, you you can't do that. You can. If you're playing with somebody, you can slow play them. You can, you know, kind of get in their head, talk to them, whatever. But uh, there are very few defenses that you have in golf. So all we can really look at is like, that is to say, like winning can be arbitrary a lot of the time. You think about Phil at Troon when Hendrick Stenson beat him and you're like, well, Phil would have won, you know, 440 of the other major championships based on his strokes game data this week. Right. But he didn't win this one. So do you like that was a better performance than um, Patrick Reed winning the Masters? So what do you do with that? How do you how do you um, like reconcile all those different things? So I'm saying a bunch of different things there, but when we talk about winning versus not winning, that's kind of what we're thinking about and talking about when we uh, when we just when we discuss those things. Yeah, you can't change your opponent's lie. You can't gust the wind. You can't change the golf course. They might just go out and beat you when you've had a historic week. I think the Phil Mickelson-Henrik Stenson uh, comp is is probably one of the best comps because it was just such a historic outlier for the second-place finisher. And uh, who finished third? J.B. Holmes, and they just, like, lapped the field on him, right? Was it J.B.? It was Terrell Hatton. Hold on. Are we positive about that? While you're you're looking that up. But but it's important, right, because – Whatever you want to do, especially when we start comparing generations, which we can get to in a second, it almost always comes down to wins because these guys didn't play against each other. So maybe instead of wins, and I know you tweet this out a little bit, um, I like when you tweet out over John Rahm's last 10 tournaments, like 11 guys have beaten him or something like that. You know, like that is, is that more indicative? Like what's a better way to show long-term success is it strokes gained is it how many opponents you're beating over a period of time is it how many rounds you're gaining to the field like wins is it's very very arbitrary it is it's so hard though because it's like okay well if somebody exists they just live every round at 2.8 strokes gained and you and you're exactly 2.8 strokes gained every uh, better than the field every round you're never gonna win yeah or you you might like luck into a win but if that's your exact number every single round you're never going to win but you're always going to finish in the top what 10 8 5 whatever and so like do we value that more or somebody gaining five strokes around for one week and then missing 10 cuts in a row mm-hmm. I, I think if you only look at wins you value that guy more but that guy's not better at golf he was better for four days but broadly speaking and a lot of this a lot of this comes down to time frame. Like if you're looking at like, are you talking about one week? Are we talking about a month, a career, a year? What, what, what's the different time frames that we're talking about there? Um, JB Holmes finished. So Henrik Stenson, 20 under Phil Mickelson, 17 under 
JB Holmes six under, <laughs> so he was a he was eleven back. I think Phil gained like thirty strokes on the field and lost. Jeez. Um, and then Steve Stricker finished fourth. Did not remember that. No. I don't even remember him playing in that event. And then Sergio Terrell Hatton and Rory tied for fifth. They finished sixteen back of Henrik Stenson. Well, history history shows us that um, we care about wins, right? Anytime there's a Tiger versus Jack comparison, it comes down to wins. It comes down to majors. But like, let's talk about our recent, like our current state of golf. Not only are wins probably potentially overvalued, but they're harder to come by, aren't they? Isn't there a true like generational gap between the types of golfers that we're seeing on the PGA Tour now or call it the last 10 or 15 years, whatever you want to set that time frame as, to 1980 to 1995, right? I mean, wins are just harder. The, the tour is much deeper now. It is deeper. Data Golf has some good uh, articles on this where they've kind of looked at, they, they took a average golfer in 2000, so the year 2000, which was obviously the famous Tiger year. Right. And they, they, the, the math on this is beyond my comprehension, but they, they essentially linked that average golfer to current day and then went all the way backward to 1983 or four, whenever strokes gain stuff or whenever stats started being kept for, for the PGA Tour. And so in doing that, by linking the, uh, the past to the present, they were able to say like, okay, how does the present compare to the average golfer in 2000 and how does the past compare to that? And you can kind of look at this progression across time from 1984 and until, until now, until the modern day. And I think what's interesting about their data is they concluded that invariably the average player on the PGA tour is better in, in 2022 than the average player in 2000. And the average player in 2000 was better than the average player in 1984 which could lead to the conclusion that the average player in 2022 is actually as good as some of the stars in 1984. Right. I think that's, uh, you know, their argument was like, you're only as good as your comparison to your peers in the whatever era that you're in. So their argument was Roger Bannister uh, uh, breaking the four minute mile. Every like high schoolers break the four minute mile now in, in track and field. But that doesn't make like what he did less like it doesn't make him less of a icon or a star. Right. Because nobody had had done it back then, you know, and so it's it's I think it's it's hard. That makes it really difficult to kind of compare generations. But I mean, think about this. And this is what I always say on, when we talk all the time is there's no industry in which there's been just this wave of money and financial um, uh, reward like infused into an industry right. that hasn't gotten more competitive and better over time. Right. There, that, there's, that's just, that goes against everything that we know about ec economics. And when tiger entered and, and uh, you had this just huge wave of money, I mean, Bay Hill this week, uh, $12 million purse. It's bigger than 452 of the 458 major championship purses ever. I mean, that's, that's insane to be playing for $12 million naturally an industry is just going to get better and more competitive. So I think it's harder to win in the sense that the average player now is better than ever, but I don't know that I think the gap between like the best players and the average players is still kind of the same, like at that, that part. And if you look at the data golf article, I don't know if we can link that or yeah, we can it put it in the description and include it in the tweet and stuff like that. Yeah. If you, okay. If you look at the data golf article, 
the best player uh is still like the same amount better than right. the average player on the PGA tour. So kind of both the, the lines go like this. Uh, so I don't know. That's again, a ton of information. I'm curious just about your thoughts. I mean, you're deep in the data. You're thinking yeah. about this stuff all the time. What, how, how do you think about this? So, you know, we take a lot of the golf. Well, we're not nearly as mature in, in golf statistics as uh, baseball statistics are obviously because one, we don't even capture every single shot yet. We don't capture every single tournament in the same way yet. There's a lot of gaps that we have to fill. But what I really love about some of the advanced baseball stats, KP, and I'll, I'll get these wrong, but there's like WRC and like WERA. And basically what they do is they look at your performance for that year. And it's just like that year against the year's average. And then it scores you, you know, 100 is average and anything above 100, you're better than the average that year. And you can start to do a better job of comparing generations. Now, I don't know if there's an opportunity to do that in, in golf statistics because we kind of reset strokes gained to zero every single time. So maybe we're missing out on something there, but it, it is truly one way to start comparing them. And I think it's important because you're right, especially now with technology, we are now seeing the flood of young players thanks to the Tiger effect, right? The Cole Hammers, the college guys, the John Pox, like these guys are coming and they're not even on tour yet. When you start throwing them in, you talk about equipment. It's hard, like, it's hard to compare five years ago to what we're seeing yeah. right now or even eight years ago. It, it's, it's changing so quickly that we've got to get a better grasp, at least statistically, on weighing to our current era, which might be a year, uh, and and doing the stats that way. Yeah, I think the hard thing about baseball is when you think about okay, so like technology and and diets and all that stuff has has changed, and so you, um, what was I thinking about? Oh, so like for hitters, like they're stronger now, they're bigger, they're faster, whatever. Well, the the thing that has also changed is pitchers throw harder. Yes. Right. And they, and they're more specialized. It's harder to hit. And so it's, um, I think the thing with golf is like, I think, I think it's easier to seem better now because I don't know that the defense, which is the courses has, has kept up equivalently with the offense, which is technology and fitness and all these different things. Um, Ooh. On the golf side. Does that you know, make sense? Yeah, you know what we need? We need them to release the slope and course rating each week on tour. Not just like, you know, mm -hmm. like when you, so you go to, um, you know, you go to Bay Hill on a Thursday morning in July and I play the course. It's going to be much different than the way they're playing it for the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Release, have somebody rate it with course or with rating and slope each week on tour for those guys. That would give us a better idea of if the defenses are keeping up. True. And I think the data golf argument is, well, like we're not comparing, like we're comparing players to each other yeah. in this, like at the same time, that's strokes gained. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it should like, um, it should give you a pretty good picture of, of over time. And it still says like, Hey, golf has just gotten better. And I think I've, I think I believe that. And if I believe that, then it, it, the, like the, the trailing assumption is that it's gotten harder to win. Um, mm. and I think I believe that also, although I could be talked out of that in the future, but I, I think that's where I'm at, that it's, it's, 
if you have a career in 2020, let's say somebody in this decade, maybe Justin Thomas wins 25 times. Hopefully for you. Yeah. Uh, I have a bet with, with, uh, Mark Immelman. I think like it's up to, we're like a barrel of wine that I'm going to owe him or yes. something. If Justin Thomas doesn't win 25 times in the 2020s, if somebody wins 25, uh, let's say, well, let's just take DJ's career. Um, no, let's not take G- DJ's career. Let's say JT. JT's got 14 wins. If he wins 35 times and takes like three or four majors. I think you could argue that that's a better career than Phil Mickelson. <clears throat> Phil's got 40, 45, 44, yeah, 45. something like that. He's got six majors now. So that I'll, I'll say 35 and four for JT is, I think that would be tougher in this era than what Phil did in, in his, and maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's just, that's how I feel. Well, if you want to look at the year by year data, like winning three in a season now is insanely good, right? Rory did it a couple of years ago. Can't like technically did it in 2021, but you know, you count the the tour championship in there as well. You get four wins. But if you look at like history, the last decade or so, three wins is phenomenal. It's basically the most that uh, any golfer has won in a season in 2020, 2019, 2018, 2016, 2014, And then you start scrolling back. Now, you run into the Tiger years pretty quickly, KP, but you go back further than that. If you're not winning three times, it's not enough. Like, these guys were winning routinely four or five times a year. It's just, even if the recent history, like, at the most basic of calculations, like, who had the most wins in that year and how many was it, is starting to bear itself out that it's way harder to win now. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you think about, you go back to Kapalua. Right, uh, uh, Rom was what thirty three under, and yeah. Cam Smith, who's a who's a good player. He's not. Cam Smith is kind of the guy that you're like, did that guy exist? And I, this is uh, this is almost impossible to figure out. Did that did, did the Cam Smith guy exist in nineteen seventy two? Like Cam Smith is like really good, and he wins, and he's just you can't put him away. Jack Nicholas struggled to put Arnold Palmer away. Struggled to put Gary Player away. I don't know that he struggled with whatever the 1971 version of Cam Smith was. I just right. don't know that that player was as good because again, like if you're Cam Smith in 1971, how much money are you making? Are you making no, you'd a have, living? You'd have a, you'd have a second job is what you'd have. <laughs> right. And so I, it, it, it just, it, it's almost, um, it would be hard to, to believe that that person is as good re- relative like compared to the to the best players in 1971 as that person is in in 2022. You know, again, that could be be wrong, but I just that I feel pretty strongly about that. And I think it I think that's why strokes gain stuff actually is kind of meaningful to careers. You know, like it's not I think we get made fun of for being data nerds and that's true. And we like my tendency is to lean on it too much. Like I, I do that too often. But I think it's actually really meaningful for like, hey, this guy won 30 times. And also, here's his strokes gain compared to Ben Hogan or to, uh, Jack, you know, whatever. Um, I, think, I think that actually is meaningful in, in, when we're talking about legacies and, and comparing guys' careers. The golf is like a 15 year tail behind baseball. So baseball is now just getting where the hall of fame voters, and a lot of them are wrong, but a, a, lot, of the, a lot of the voters are now looking more at 
war and advanced metrics instead of pitcher wins and ER, you know, things that they might not necessarily have full control over. I imagine in 10 or 15 years, these conversations about strokes gained are going to be more just simply commonplace and wins in golf might be looked at as wins for a starting pitcher KP, which baseball is basically the, the entire community is like, yeah, wins don't matter for a pitcher. Like they don't, they don't control half of the game and all these other aspects. Yeah, which is true. Now the thing, the thing that there, there's a curve, uh, I forgot who created it. Any, I think data golf has it, but uh, Jake Nichols, I think was the, the original place that I saw it. He used to do stuff for, uh, I think what is now 15th club. Um, anyway, <clears throat> there's a curve that shows like in a given week, if you gain, um, and it's normalized to the, or it changes based on the tour. But if you gain four strokes per round, you're, you, you will win 95% of the time. Right. Or if you gain five yeah. strokes per round, you'll win 99% of the time or whatever. And at one point there was like a 10 year window that he was looking at. The only guy that had gained, over five strokes around and not one in that event, I think was Louis Oosthuizen, which is <laughs> just course it is. so perfect. He lost to Tiger and Rory at the Deutsche Bank. I think that was like 2012 or something. Uh, I forgot where I was going. Oh, so comparing that to like, should we, I mean, John Rahm gained whatever, four and a half strokes per round at Kapalua. That's a win like 95% of the time. Now what, right. what data I think can't capture sometimes that you and I, I think we call it out and we recognize it but it's hard when you don't get to see everybody play it can't capture john rom making two 20 footers on the last two holes at the u.s open because if he misses those his strokes gain doesn't change by that much right right it changes uh, like just just slightly and it i just don't know that strokes gain, there's no like strokes gain like a winning when it counts like right. making stuff when it matters. And maybe the baseball statistician that would argue, hey, there's no such thing as momentum would argue like, hey, there's no such thing as like winning in crunch time. But the competitor in me, you and I both played competitively, just doesn't really believe that's true. Right. Yeah. And so I don't know how to wreck. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. When, you when you've got a pitcher rattled, uh, there is no stat for how rattled this guy is, but like I can feel it and I can see it and it's not going to yeah. show up on paper. And it's the same thing. I mean, and guys like Max Homa have been very, very candid about what it feels like when you're in the heat of the battle. And it just feels different. Every single guy we talk to uh, says the same thing and that will never show up in the stat sheet because we can't quantify it, but it's true. And I hate to admit that it's true. And I've been trying to get better at the eye test and I've been trying to get better at understanding the flaws in all of this, but there are certainly flaws. Yeah. Yeah, there are. Um, how do you like, what, 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 what's the, if we talk about inflation and deflation, like $10 <laughs> in 2022 is not worth as much uh, as it was in 1922, so yeah. 100 years ago. When we talk about wins, how how like when you, what do you think of when you think of inflation and deflation? How how many wins in 1960 or one win in 1960? How many is that worth in 2000 versus 2020 versus I don't know, so on. I probably think that the wins now are worth way more than they were. I don't know what that multiple is, but I, I think it's a lot. And I think if you put 
a below average golfer if you took Scott Stallings and moved him back 20 years, 30 years. Yeah, exactly. I think he'd be potentially dominant. I mean, obviously we've got equipment issues as well. That's something that you, that you can't control, but there, there was just such a long period of time where golf wasn't necessarily even the main focus for a lot of these guys and they had other jobs and I don't know. It's just, there's just so much change that's happening year in and year out. I, I think that, and I think this about a lot of sports too, like whoever the best is today at that sport might be the best of all time, just because of how quickly everybody is changing. Technology is changing. You're talking about the the financial incentive of it, the competition. It's just, I I tend to probably lean too heavier on the modern side of things, um, which makes kind of what Tiger did and what, you know, Rory or even DJs up to 20 wins. Now, like that's super incredible stuff. So I think the natural conclusion, so two things. One, the natural conclusion for this is that Tiger, I think Tiger's uh, 80, what does he have, 82? 82. I think that's a little overvalued, which is kind of a hot take. Well, like I think- why? Because, because he was the first, because he got 10 full years of just smacking everybody around? <laughs> yeah, and like, okay, so the, the, the argument is, well, he had to beat Phil and Ernie. Well, yeah, but he didn't have to beat Cam Smith. Right. Cam Smith is like better than whoever the Cam Smith was in 2001. You know, and I, I now the the other side of the Tiger thing is, well, yeah, but he doesn't get enough credit for creating all this. Right. In the same way that Cam Michael Cam Jordan Smith's made. win should count as point one to Tiger's total. For sure. In the same way that that Michael Michael Jordan opened up the floodgates for like a a, like basketball revolution, if you want to call it that in the United States, that's what Tiger did. And golf is golf was revolutionized. The PGA Tour was revolutionized by Tiger Woods. So he almost I think that is like actually we undervalue it and we overvalue how much he won and we certainly overvalue how how much somebody like sam sneed won sam sneed was winning tournaments with like 12 guys yeah those aren't like those aren't real wins those are the fact that the fact that sam i don't know what what was the how many years difference from sam sneed's first win to tiger's first win like that should tiger's record yeah they should be tiger should have 150 wins by now yes like just use a multiple if they're not even even remotely close I was just thinking about this. If you dropped JT in the first Masters, so JT's teeing it up against, uh, I, I can't even remember somebody in the, Jimmy Demerit. He's got a tee time. With you. Did you know they used to just pick their tee times at the Masters? Like whoever got to the to the tee sheet first could write yeah, down, I'll, I'll take 9.15. The leaders don't tee off last. You just play with, <laughs> you just play. How like crazy it. would that be? I mean, yeah, because it's, they're, kinda, it's only for television that they tee off in that order, right? It's kind of sick. Yeah, it is for television. Um, and for just like kind of the, the climax of the entire week. But if you dropped JT in the 1934 Masters and he played the next 10 years worth of majors, take out a couple of years for World War II. So he plays 40 majors between 1934 and 19, whatever, 47. How many does he win? Oh. Wait, he gets to He gets to keep... His fitness, Does he his get, equipment, oh, his ball, all of them. He 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 gets to tee off from wherever they're teeing off from. He wins every single. He major. wins every single one. It's not remotely close. I mean, he would the equipment alone. He would be hitting. He would be 
three clubs shorter than everybody else, or like uh, three uh, three shorter clubs in, right? Uh, if, if they're hitting a six iron, he's hitting like a pitching wedge, and he would just be, I mean, the ball, the ball differences, he would, he would dominate. He could have his worst stuff and win every single one. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you'd have to move it to like maybe even the 70s before he would have a 10-year period, which he lost a major. I don't disagree with that. I mean, it's it's that big of a difference. Now, okay, so how far so how far until that happens again, right? So if we say it's you know 1970s where he wouldn't win every single one, what is it in the future? Because I feel like it's a shorter period of time. Because technology, the way technology works is it, it's it's um it's not logarithmic, but you know it, it compounds on itself. So are we 10 years away from having a conversation about uh, another Tiger Woods or saying these? Rory wins were way better than they should have been. Like, how far in the future do we have to go to have this conversation? Hmm. That's interesting. Well, I think it, I think a lot of it depends on whether they roll equipment back, right? Yeah, that's that. That would be the outside force that could limit some of this stuff. But if they don't, I, I don't know what the limits of equipment are. I truly don't. Like, I, I I know that the USGA has some parameters that they're like, well, you can't have this amount of bounce in your driver or this, I, I, whatever. Like, I, I'm not in that minutia. So I don't know what the upper limit is on equipment stuff, but it seems like it's not, we have, certainly we haven't hit it. Right. So. No, because we, we, we still haven't hit, um, we haven't hit the stage where, okay. So in the NBA, every single one of those guys is an unbelievable athletic monster. We do not ha- like, even with the equipment stuff in what if every golfer was LeBron James, what if every golfer was okay, maybe easier to look at Kyle Berkshire or what Bryson was trying to do. Right. When, when that's the average now, instead of the outlier, and you're still talking about the same equipment, you're, you're not talking about any rollbacks at all. We have not hit the physical influx of athletes into golf yet yeah it's a great point man it's just hard to imagine somebody from the future being dropped into like the 2020s and and winning every single major but that's That's what we but that's what we're talking about for the past though so it's definitely like it's good it's a conversation we're going to have i don't i don't disagree with you it's just so hard to imagine that i've seen Brooks Kepka hit irons at Augusta and you're like, holy crap, like this is so different than anything I've ever seen. So to imagine him getting beat in every single major by one guy, I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of the reason we would say JT would win every major for 10 years in the thirties and forties is because of equipment. Yeah. And so maybe that's like what we're like, that's the answer from the future. It's just like, Hey, equipment, but then like, I just, I can't believe that equipment would get to that point because, and we're getting there or we're already there or we've been there or whatever. You just outdate, like you just can't go to Augusta National anymore. You can't go to, to St. Andrews anymore. You honestly, we're at the point where if St. Andrews doesn't have wind, you kind of can't go there. It's not great, you know? And yeah, so that's going to be a I problem. Just don't, I don't believe that golf will be allowed to get to the point where equipment would be so good <laughs> that somebody could come back and win all these majors because if it's that good then th- you you have to there's no more history like you have to tear down all the courses and rebuild them so i think i think that's where i'm at i don't think it'll ever happen again because of that reason that's probably right because it's um 
to to have to redo courses that are I mean there, there's no there's no some places there's no place to redo it right you just can't extend Augusta National at 8,500 yards and you can't you know knock down uh, the shops around the old course and try to figure that one out either so there's just not there's not a path to go if they let this continue to grow like like it kind of has really quickly, right? Like if Kyle Berkshire wanted to get out on a golf course and drive it 420 yards, like that would be a problem if everybody was like Kyle Berkshire. Yeah, totally. And why, why wouldn't they be? I mean, uh, is he, do we know if he's trying to like make it on a mini tour? So I'm, are you allowed to say, uh, (laughs) I'm, I'm hoping to, I'm going to try to get Kyle on the podcast and we'll talk about this, but, um, from my understanding, at least from just like his YouTube channel, right? Because that's what he puts out him, himself. I know that he is working a lot harder to, to, to put a complete game together and not necessarily just be the long driver. But for now, to your point about like financials and the like, it's much more lucrative right now for him to be the longest driver on the planet than it is for him to try to come up through the mini tours sure. and get st- like yeah. that is hard. And he's going to run into a lot of competition and it's probably not going to be nearly as financially beneficial for him as, as opposed to him going to Mesquite Nevada three times a year and winning the long drive championships and being that guy. So I think he's actually, he is actually in a very interesting spot trying to walk the line between these two things. Um, uh, he, uh, he'd be a really interesting case study. I'd, I'd, I'd like to see kind of where he's headed in the next five years. Well, and I think his inability to play PGA Tour golf, I say inability, he's obviously supremely talented, but the fact that he can't, like he's not suited for Corn Ferry or PGA Tour, or maybe he is, and it's just more lucrative, but if he was really suited, he would he would find his way to the PGA Tour, I think. It speaks to how good guys like like we talk about oh rory's short game is not that good <laughs> right yeah which is it's like there are times actually this year it's been pretty good but there are times where that's true relative to other pros but relative to just golf it's still really 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 good because kyle berkshire is a lot longer than rory yeah and if and if his short game was even mediocre compared to those guys he i mean he could like do some stuff and it just gives you a greater appreciation for how even the bad short games on tour or not bad but like average short games on tour are still just a joke compared to everything that you've ever seen correct yeah it's it's absolutely bonkers it's on a completely different level yeah berkshire is a really interesting one um also low-key uh i love the long drive i'm like addicted to the long drive now and I think it's sick. <laughs> and I think now with everyone knowing what their numbers are and their launch monitor stuff and ball speed, like it's never been a better time for long drive. So I'm, I follow Kyle Berkshire probably much more than I should because I'm addicted to that kind of stuff. No, it's really fun. <laughs> and I think that it's, uh, you know, I think, I think there should be like a skills competition for the PGA Tour. I think that would be, you could set it up to where it would be awesome. Like it would be really cool. We need to have like a, like think about like an all-star weekend for the tour mm. it'd be sweet like it would be so fun to just take a breather from all this 72 hole stroke play stuff and just go find a course to do it in prime time on the west coast do a long drive do a chipping contest try to i mean you could have phil out there doing his crazy stuff i mean it, it, there, there's so many opportunities there to make people tune into stuff that they wouldn't otherwise tune into and 
I know that's not what you were talking about with Berkshire, but I just think that would be super fun to get to see those guys, you know, hit crazy cut shots and draws and try to hit greens for, it, 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 I don't know. Like that stuff gets me really excited. And I think, I think there's an opportunity for that to, to be televised and to be pretty popular. Yeah. If you want to grow the game, that's probably one of the better ways to do it because kids would love to watch Bubba try to slice one 60 yards around whatever obstacle you want to put in front of him and see, see what he can do with yeah, it. Yeah, like so. if, if you put two telephone poles up, one on the right and one on the left, and the one on the left was further back and you say, Hey, you got to work it around this one, but on the other side of this one to watch Bubba try to do that would be awesome. <laughs> the golf slalom. Like overhead an overhead shot of that he did it at tory last year he had that he had that shot into the par five with a three wood that was just like i don't know those guys can do stuff with the golf ball that's just unfathomable and i feel like we don't get to see it showcased enough because of the type of course that the tour kind of goes to week in and week out yeah Fair enough. Well, as far as this wins conversation goes, KP, probably put a pin in it. We'll have to, we'll be completely wrong in five years, in 10 years. We'll have to revisit this as someone comes out and completely changes the game again. But before I get you out of here, any, any final thoughts, anything else before we uh, close out this 300 yards done now? Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it, it feels like we talked about it a bunch and we didn't really come to any conclusions, which is yeah, so that's, frustrating. That's how we do it. <laughs> right? It's just, it, it feels like there should be, and maybe that's why it's fun to argue about and talk about and discuss. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I, I think that, do you think that we, because we're strokes gain nerds, do you think that we undervalue winning or do you think we value it properly? I think personally, I, I undervalue it because I, I know that winning is a skill and a skill can usually be quantified with a statistic. And that is one that you cannot quantify. So I, I believe that my personal blind spot is undervaluing it. If there was a stat that said, wow, this guy's an elite winner and here's how he compares to other guys who were good winners or great winners, I think I would, um, maybe care about it more but it is it is hard for me to kind of wrap my wrap my brain around it well i think i think what you're talking about is strokes gain under pressure versus strokes gain regular i was listening to uh, justin huber on the no laying up podcast and he was like listen i can't i have a hard time learning things if i have no pressure if i'm out of the cut line if i'm not gonna win and so i think w when when you look at strokes gain you're like oh rory strokes gain over the last six months is awesome he hasn't won, but he's got a bunch of T9s and T8s. That's a very different thing than somebody whose who strokes gained is like equally good, but they've got a bunch of T2s and T3s because they were in contention and somebody just beat them like a ROM, right. like got, has gotten beat a bunch. So I think, it, and there's, again, no way to quantify it because I don't know what those guys are feeling, but strokes gain under pressure and strokes gain not under pressure, those are very, very different things, even in even within tournaments, not just like, oh, this they're this guy's practicing and he shot up 60. Okay, great. Like there's there's nothing at stake. But even inside of tournaments, if you're not if you tee off at 10 a.m. on Sunday, you don't feel anything. Right. But if you tee off at 3 p.m. at the PGA championship on Sunday, you feel a lot of stuff. And so there almost needs to be uh, regardless of winning, and there almost needs to be a strokes gain number for those two different feelings. I love it. I think you just gave me a project to work on for the next uh, six or 12 months or something like that, however long it's going to take me. Uh, KP, appreciate you as always, my friend. Thanks for coming on. 
Yep, anytime. Had a blast. Uh, let's do it again. Kyle Porter, who you can find on Twitter at Kyle Porter CBS. This has been a 300 yards to unknown episode, and we'll catch you next time.